0: In a New Age world filled with delusions and wish fulfillment by morons in need of attention, renowned experiencers of high strangeness and podcasters Jeffrey Ritzman and Jeremy Vaney received invitations to a tropical paradise getaway called Paratopia. Little did they know, it was the same type of New Age spiritual retreat they've been avoiding all their lives.
1: I don't be Señoras y caballeros, bienvenido al 2009 Expo Political Conferencia en Barcelona, España. Ahora, por favor, bienvenido a nuestro huésped especial, Doctor Stephen Greer.
0: rigato, Barcelona, Spain. Oh. It's me, Doctor. That's right, USA, USA. Okay, settle. It's me, Dr. Steven Greer. And you know, I once sent a, um, a carrier pigeon to the, um, Clinton White House to inform them that if they don't disclose what they know soon, I'm gonna. Didn't hear back. But you know... Something like 8 or 12 or something years later, whatever it was. Another man, a more open man, took to the White House, and his name was President Obama. Yeah, that's right, you can applaud that. So, um, I got a message to Obama. Got it to uh, his CIA director. I won't I won't read the whole thing to you now, but, uh, but they've read it. Uh, Actually how I got it to them was um I, I got my my grandkids to um go to the same school as his kids and I I passed a message uh through class, I believe it was a math class. Um, will you give this to your dad? Yes or no. And um his daughter, uh one of his daughters, I'm not gonna say which one, circled yes. And PS, you know, Jimmy likes you, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Kids are cute. Anyway. Um and so then she passed um the legislative bill that I am demanding he pass regarding disclosure uh to Obama's daughter. Not gonna say which one, wouldn't be appropriate. And uh one can only assume that Obama passed it on to his CIA director. Now I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, but Dr. Stephen Greer, and that's me. How is it that you're a grandfather? I mean, you're so virile and young looking, and I I know, I mean, I get that all the time, and I thank you for noticing, but uh, we're not really here to talk about that so much as uh, disclosure and free energy and aliens and what I know that you don't know, that the government knows, Somehow I know the same things that the government knows, and I can threaten the government with my own disclosure if they don't disclose, which is kind of weird, because you would think that if I really wanted a disclosure, and I knew all that stuff, I would just disclose it myself, irregardless. <laughs> That's right, you'd think that, but you'd be wrong. Jeremy. Jeff, shut up, man. Greer. What? what greer, greer, greer. Where, greer's on in barcelona
2: for the love of god let's go what the hell are you watching that crap for
0: because it's greer in barcelona what part of that doesn't excite you
2: the part after
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> wow it's going well uh, what do we have on the show today uh maggie jackson
2: are you interested in the show, maybe? I don't know. I'm just yeah, guessing.
0: Yeah, I was until Greer came on. And, uh, yeah, you know, he's got a lot to say. Jeremy? talked to Obama. And the off, the, what? off the
2: TV. Turn off the TV.
0: Fine. Sorry. I guess I just got distracted. distracted. Oh, Peritopians, have we got something special for you. My goodness. Uh some shows you know when they do the shows about the future they go to psychics, maybe they turn to remote viewers, perhaps they crack open a prophecy or two, biblical maybe, Nostradamus, yes. And sometimes Edgar Casey. But what do we do? Well, we scour the earth searching for um somebody smart or somebody together or somebody award-winning. For somebody who just takes a look around her environment and sees what's going on and extrapolates from there, that's right, we've got Maggie Jackson, an award-winning author and journalist who writes the popular Balancing Acts column in the Boston Globe. Her work has also appeared on National Public Radio and in the New York Times, among other national publications. Her acclaimed first book, What's Happening to Home? Balancing Work, Life, and Refuge in the Information Age, examined the loss of home as a refuge. That's right. I'm reading all of that from the inside flap of Distracted, The Erosion of Attention in the Coming Dark Age. That's her latest book. It is in hardcover currently. You can get it anywhere you like, and um, soon it will be in paperback. We'll get to all of that by the end of the show. For now, please welcome, I am excited, I am thrilled, I can't do more intro for this, One Ms. Maggie Jackson. Maybe you can just tell us what the uh, collective losses we experience um, for telling a dark age are, and uh, we can just go down the list and kind of see where we're at. But first, why don't you tell us, um, well, what you mean by a dark age and why you think we're heading toward one?
3: Sure. Um, Well, great question. Um, there those are two very uh, gripping words, and uh, they weren 't thrown in the subtitle um, for you know no reason <laughs> i wasn 't just trying to um, raise eyebrows there. Um, I did uh, quite a bit of research in um, in uh, writing my book about what constitutes a dark age because um, actually what drew my curiosity was that I heard. Um, tremendously brilliant people from Harold Bloom to Umberto Eco and Jane Jacobs all call our current era a a dark age of sorts. And people have very many different definitions of a dark age, but if you look at um, the history of, say, the Greek dark ages or um, the medieval period that we know well, even um, eras in Chinese history that were considered dark times, there are characteristics that parallel um... them all and uh... for instance a dark age well what's surprising first of all is that a dark age is not necessarily all negative uh... you know dark ages throughout history have been times of inventiveness times times when technology has flourished although writing and literacy has fallen off or even disappeared altogether Um so um in uh, in many ways dark ages are not all um a collection of subtractions as Jane jacobs said um but dark ages cumulatively are times of cultural forgetting in other words mankind humankind or a certain civilization in a certain period of time forgets how to build on the past which of course is tremendously alarming and um you know leads to a lot um Many backward trends um, again, both in the culture and in society, Jane Jacobs thought that our current age was um, darkening because um, cultural institutions she felt were crumbling, for instance ethics in the business world and in science uh, family life, and she didn't mean just traditional families. she meant um, you know the institutions that co- that sort of were the frameworks for intimacy and connectivity. Um, So those were her ideas of a dark age. And I saw in my work on research um, as I was investigating the role of technology in our life and um, the the rise of an inattentive, distracted society, I felt that there are a tremendous number of reasons why I'd I'd say we're headed toward a dark age unless we uh, truly act in particular to cultivate attention again. I mean, at the moment, um, a doctor interrupts a patient uh, on average after just 18 seconds uh, and, um, you know, children, uh, half or more of children, six and under, no, two-thirds of children, six or under, live in American homes where the TV is on most of the time, which is actually an atmosphere, an environment linked to attentional difficulties. Um, so, you know, and then uh, we face a tremendous fragility of digital data um, you know people know about this a little bit, but um i don't think very many people know that our past is at great risk of absolutely disappearing for all sorts of complex technological reasons um you know the machinery itself is um uh, uh, you know constantly being updated um and also digital data is fragile in and of itself, so for these variety of reasons i'd say that we're at risk of creating a culture that's based on new forms of ignorance, um, you know, literacy is going down, social disconnection, um, you know, um, people relying on shallow forms of thinking, uh, and then uh, the specter of uh, a cultural, literal cultural forgetting, um, you know, simply because we can't preserve the past um, as well as we should. So all of these um, sort of pieces of evidence led me to believe, um, I, I would argue very strongly, that we do face a dark age. That doesn't mean I'm pessimistic about the future because I think if we act and if we are able to um, you know, use our tools differently and, and educate our children differently, etc., I think that there's a lot that can be done um, to avert this dark age.
0: Uh, you think or do you think that maybe a dark age is sort of a recalibration and getting used to the new age
3: well we're certainly in a transitional time when it comes to technology. Um, we're at a crossroads uh, in terms of um, the you know the human the future of what it means to be human, especially as artificial intelligence. Um, you know, increasingly mirrors, um surpassing the human brain. I mean, we're at a crossroads in a transitional age. We're at a, a really tremendously, um, t- a time of tremendous change uh, thanks to technology. And, and maybe there are recalibrations, certainly um, complex civilizations. Uh, when complex civilizations um, have uh, crumbled, you know, from the Mayans to, um, you know, various civilizations, there's been a time of retrenchment and simplicity. I mean, maybe in some ways this recession heralds that period of time. So a dark age is often followed by a renaissance. You know, maybe this isn't um, again a negative in more ways than one. But um, you know, there there's a lot of um, you know pain and darkness and um, again disconnection and unnecessary um, you know sort of shallow thinking in in this kind of this period of time this type of era um, that we can avert if we if we if we really wake up and and become more aware aware of how uh, of what's going on
0: and i guess just for you personally uh to have written this book you know which came first the notion that we were heading toward a dark age or or the looking around yourself um and then figuring that out I mean did, did you have some sort of notion that we were heading toward a dark age and wanted to write a book about it or did you just No, know? I How did
3: I was very con- yeah I was very concerned about our use of technology that was my starting point I really thought by looking back in history and understanding some of the first high-tech revolutions, you know, the invention of the cinema, the phonograph, the telegraph, etc. By looking back uh, into past periods of time, I would see, I would gain clues about how we, particularly Americans, could use our gadgets better. That was the starting point for my book. So I was concerned. I thought that people were becoming um, highly connected and yet so deeply disconnected as human beings. I and mean, you know, what some scientists have told me um, is the growth of an autistic society. Um I was really deeply concerned with um you know how things how Americans were defining efficiency and productivity in the most shallow surface ways, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But in in perf- in going through going back in history and researching um the technological issues um i began to see that really the core issue before us um was attention and how humans use their attention now that was one strain of my research at the same time i was curious because i heard of you know the great thinkers calling this a dark age and also i was curious about what it, an age is what what characterizes a turning point in civilization we call we called this or we still call it the information age. We, we say it's the digital age. Well, what does that mean? Aren't we, we kind of bandy about that term? So that's how I began. So I had several, you know, seemingly separate strands of research that I was burrowing into. And then they really all in some ways fit together. I mean, in many ways fit together into this book about attention and distraction.
0: Yeah. Well, what does that mean to you that this, you know whoever the the gurus of uh, public persuasion are decided to call this information age not the wisdom age um to me that implies um a sort of a shallow collection of data perhaps for consumer purposes
3: well in a sense that's it's a um, it's the, the terminology of the information age is entirely appropriate because um i i see that you know we do have gluts of data and and tsunamis of information, but yet we're having difficulty uh, individually and collectively turning that information into knowledge, Um, and, that you know, there's the rub. Um, I think that it's really easy to depend on what's first up on Google, um, on the surface of the web, um, to depend on short sound bites, you know, or Twitter facts and tweets and things like that um it's so easy and humans have always pursued the easy road in many many ways i mean that's um part of i guess our makeup that we you know take the easy r- road as long as we're surviving so but yet to surpass, you know to move past data and information into knowledge and then ultimately wisdom is difficult and i don't think we're um we're really living up to the task we're not really um, giving, you know, we're not really exhibiting as a culture perseverance and will and discipline and doubt and uncertainty. We're relying on, as I've, as I've been saying, shallow thinking, um, black and white thinking and kind of an easy way out. So, the uh, information age is a perfect uh, description in many ways of what we're, uh, um, mired in.
0: And is that just an American, uh, phenomenon or, or do you think it's global? with the
3: Internet global? Oh, I think it's um, becoming, I mean, my book is based on U.S. research, but I was um, very intrigued because when the book came out last summer, the response internationally was phenomenal. I mean, the um, you know press from almost every continent, um, you know, interviews, emails from people all over the world, you know, 15-year-old Irish kid or you know, people in Korea and et cetera. So I think that the, um, while the details of the phenomenon are different in each culture, um, you know, Kore- Koreans might be um, affected differently by all of these technological and, and other changes um, than, than people in Bogota. But I think that the core issues are spreading, at least in the developed world.
0: And are the uh, the collective losses universal, or are they specific to America as well?
3: Well, again, I haven't done research in um, you know Europe or America, or but from what I hear, anecdotally, and yeah, people are worried about um, connection and not only family life, but you know how their kids are connecting socially, uh, how they're spending their time. Uh, people are very worried about whether or not the deeper, difficult questions. Um, are being answered and worked on in in workplaces you know whether or not um, the average worker the average worker now switches tasks every three minutes, the average information wage age worker and that that finding has been replicated in study after study so um you know are people engaging? are they critical thinking you know doing critical thinking and um this kind of interrupt driven multitasking hyper kind of work. Is um, correlated with a lack of creativity. That's another set of studies out of Harvard Business School. So when when people feel scattered, as most people do today at work, um, they're actually less creative, by their own report and by their supervisors. Um, so so I think that um, you know some these losses are not just American. I mean maybe Americans are at the forefront, or in, people in the United States, I should say, um, not to lump Canada in there, but people in the United States are. Perhaps at the forefront of feeling these changes, because we are a, rest, a historically restless nation—you know, immigrants, pioneers, um, go-getters, business people. Um, that's sort of a, a, a simplistic summation of the roots of American culture. Hence, we are restless, um, somewhat attention deficient. <laughs> some people say, and um, we are very, very enamored of technology. I mean, just. We, well, I think we, as a culture, more than many cultures, adopt technologies willy-nilly and and over, you know, kind of almost abuse them. We allow the technologies to control us rather than vice versa. I'd say.
0: Do you factor in uh, things like um, you know education and the underfunding of the arts? Uh,
3: Well, it's not a specific. um, That's not specific to my book. Um, So, and I'm not sure what you're. What your question? Was well, I mean, exactly we're talking
0: about a, a culture that's uh, you know not deep, <laughs> right? Uh, if if you take away the arts and art funding and things like that, I mean, there there are certain you know just political things in the equation. I think that that could be reenacted, um, that might uh, get people thinking again in better ways.
3: Well, certainly removing um, the arts or recess, um, you know, or um, you know giving kindergartners sheets and sheets of dittoed you know, homework every night all of those are indicative of a culture that thinks in the short term um and you know look when you look at the way most people operate you know head down nose down in the blackberry in the gadget um you know running around um Know, switching tasks, jumping from thing to thing. Cognitively, it's really hard to gain perspective physiologically, biologically, your attention networks. I mean we haven't really talked about what attention is, but attention is a multifaceted set of networks um, that's actually uh, an organ system. It's attention is akin to your your circulatory or your um, digestion uh, or d- your digestive system, in that many different parts of the brain and body have to operate together to perform the feat of attention. And so, um, you know, and there are a n- num- number of different types of attention. Um, there's focus, which is orienting—that's the spotlight of your mind. There's awareness or alerting—that's wakefulness or sensitivity to your surroundings. And then there's finally executive attention. Which is planning and judgment and 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 what you need to envision you know your agenda or your goals for the next hour or the next week or your ne- or your whole life and and if you think about this scattershot fragmented, diffused um, environment that we're placing ourselves in and our children in, um it's both common sense and it's also you know biologically true that you just can't engage with something your brain isn't going to go deeply um and that's tremendously frightening for a country
0: mm-hmm. are there repercussions for the brain
3: um, well in so i don't think we know what we might need to know about um you know whether or not in other words are we rewiring the brain by being a distracted culture well this much we know the brain is highly plastic from cradle to grave You can grow new neurons or brain cells. The brain can mend. You can actually um, change a brain, say the brain of a dyslexic or depressed person. This was unheard of. No one would have believed you 10 years ago if you'd said this. But we can actually change the brain, and and we do, in fact, every day. Our habits, uh, our environment shape us. Um, So therefore, a child, say I mentioned background TV and attentional deficit difficulty. When the TV is blaring all day long, no one's even watching it, um, you know, whether or not it's a kid's program or the news, just that noise in the environment makes kids play more briefly with their toys, hop from toy to toy, show attention deficits. Um, and so therefore that child is being shaped by uh, the environment that's around them. Um, their attention is being shaped. And on the flip side, you can meditate and actually in a few short weeks, strengthen your um neural pathways related to attention. So um, you know, the training, the shaping of the brain can go either way, for good or for ill. Um and uh so it's it's really quite um astonishing um to think about what we're doing by working distractedly, by uh relating distractedly, by being in these noisy, interrupt you know, rushed environments. I I think that um, you know we certainly don't need to live like monks you know still and, and meditating all day and et cetera et cetera, but we need to balance ourselves so that we have times for stillness or teach teach children both as role models and as, and literally teach them how to focus how to uh stick with something tenaciously focus on a problem, go deeply so Lisa, this is, this is really, it's really exciting what we can be doing, what, and, and it's really depressing what we're not.
0: <laughs> well, before we get to the, uh, the ray of hope at the end, of course, because, you know, in America, we like to, to have the happy end. Um, let's, uh, go down the list of, um, what, what you call the collective losses, um, that for dark Age. What are they? And, and let's, uh, let's find out where we are on that list.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think, um, I think that we can talk about sort of twofold uh, losses in many ways. I mean, first of all, the social. Um, and I don't think I expected to write a book uh, about social relations. Again, when I started to um, delve into this topic, but of course, if you think about it, attention is the, the starting, the stepping stone to relations. If you even in um you know so- sociologically if if a person is not attending to another well then their relationship isn't getting off the ground right then and there and um autistic people have a tremendous difficulty or they can't sometimes uh attend to social cues so therefore again the language of of uh relations is diminished enormously so attention is really c- crucial for relationships and I think that um you know this is one of the potential losses or one of the losses that we're facing right now when we are not only um depending on the thinnest, most faceless means of communication media ever invented for a growing proportion of our relationships, even with our most intimate friends, family, et cetera, uh, you know, then we really should uh, pause and and um you know give pause and and reconsider um you know this this sort of pattern of um have you know i was just listening to a youtube lecture by neil postman the great uh social critic out of nyu and in the late 90s he was talking about um uh, you know some predictions that man would talk more to machines than to each other in a certain future period of time. Um, And yes, I mean, voila, Um, in some ways, yes, we're talking to each other through the machines, but in some ways we're talking to the machines. Um, I was in a hospital outside Boston um, writing a journalism piece about the hospital, and um, I noticed everywhere there were, of course, laptops to take down data. Um, But I asked one of the nurses, you know, isn't it sort of Bad that there's always a machine between you and the patient. And, and she, she immediately reacted. I, I was wondering whether she'd even understand my question or, or, you know, think along those lines. And, and she, and she was really, uh, um, kind of, uh, upset about the fact that there was always a machine physically between the patient, um, and the, and the caregiver, so to speak. There's, oh, there's increasingly a machine between the student and teacher, teachers of our world although many teachers are fighting against this. So the social relations, I'd say, that's one of the big um, costs of our current... Um, And then I also like to add that it's not just the um, machinery, it's also the breadth, you know, the networks that we're um, able to um, communicate with. You know, the technologies um, sort of jack us into this incredible um, networks of connections. Um, one sociologist looked at the five year email archive of a 24 year old in Boston and just counted up and saw that he had, um, he was connected, if you include the group emails, to 11.7 million people in the world. So, you know, goodbye village life, hello global village. But in that case, it's not a zero sum, but the breadth of relations does, um, trump the depth of relations. You just simply don't have time when you're keeping up with that many people to go deeply into any one of those. And there's a whole lot of research that backs up that statement. And um, so the social is something that um, uh, concerns me enormously. Um, You know, again, our autistic society. Um, and then then secondly, of course, there's the cognitive, the cognitive cost of, um, you know, a, again, in some ways, it's a, a matter of Breadth, not depth. I mean, um, we have access to so much information at our fingertips, endless, endless amounts of information through Google and whatnot. But um, again, are we kind of taking that information and able to go deeply? Um, 40% of college graduates in the United States can't read a food label proficiently, they don't really actually understand a food label, and that's um, uh, up from 30% in the in the early 1990s. Um, so on tests, so there's a new national test, the kind of SAT of information literacy, given to college students now. And on that test, just 50% of um, college students can judge the objectivity of a website. You know, so they're absolutely, um, you know. Kind of suckers for you know the misinformation, disinformation on the web when they can't judge whether it's an objective site, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we're re- we're really at a what I think is a crisis of learning or cognition because we might be faced with um, a totally new form of ignorance, and that is uh, ignorance. In the past, was always based on um, lack of information, um, almost always now we might be faced with an ignorance born of a lack of willingness or inability to make use of the information that's all around us. And so that's um, that's kind of a scary proposition.
0: Yeah, and somewhere in there, um, I wanted to give this example. I have a friend who, um, he, I had asked him um, face-to-face, what do you think of this movie, whatever it was, Knowing, I think it was. And he said, uh, oh, I wrote a review of it on my blog. I said, Oh, all right. Well what 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 did you think of it? Like, well, I, I wrote you know, I wrote about it. You can read it there. It's like it wasn't <laughs> like he was trying to be snobby, it just did not compute to him. Uh no pun intended that you could have this face to face conversation about something he'd
3: would written on his blog. Wow. And it's just wow. like
0: wow, this is where we that, this is where we are, really.
3: Right. And actually when blogging just started, um I'll probably guesstimate wrong, but you know, when it was really rising four or five years ago I um immediately saw it as the symptom of of one thing a lack of listening in our culture. I think that people blog when they're not listened to in their whole in the rest of their lives now that doesn't mean blogging isn't useful. it doesn't mean that some bloggers are phenomenal. It doesn't mean that we don't need new forms of journalism. It just seems to me to speak of i mean blogging is a monologue, yes, yes, you can have comments at the bottom, but it's still Asynchronous and mostly uh, a monologue and often a diatribe, but it's not a dialogue. (laughs) And as you're saying, it's not a conversation. So, um, again, is this wrong or right? Or some people might um, applaud all of these changes, but I think that we're um, truly diminishing humanity when we can't face one another. And when do we need to face one another more? And 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 get through the awkwardness or the discomfort or the difficulty or the miscommunications. When do we do need that more? Well, now when we are on the most living in the era of the most crowded planet ever. You know, so much of the I think the difficulties that we face um, are demographic. Increasingly, you know, the, the crowded planet is really the bottom line in on Earth, and whether it's with education and the environment, or developing nations, et cetera, and so we certainly need to um, be able to focus and understand each other more, not less.
0: So, and you know, on that note, one of your uh, collective losses is trust. Mm-hmm. A bit about that, you get into surveillance. Oh, that's really actually making us less trustful of each other. This each monitoring.
1: Yes,
3: and it's interesting. I must have done hundreds of interviews written and podcasts and radio and it's remarkable to me actually is sort of interesting and intriguing to me how few people um ever ask me about that chapter of my book, which is uh <clears throat> as you were saying about surveillance and trust. I think it's so uh, uh discomforting that um people don't even want to really talk about it. <laughs> um and uh you know I the one of the losses um as you say as you're saying um In this darkening or distracted age is uh, trust. Um, And I was intrigued to, um, to, I was trying to look at attention from so many different points of view and 360 degree look at attention. And so I started to look at hyper attention, you know, surveillance, the surveillance society, um, especially in the Bush administration was really an astonishing depiction or uh, illustration of of hyper attention, not inattention. Um, and, and so, and, and this surveillance society was really has been, I think, unconsciously in many ways carried into the home. So that, um, I'm not saying there's a direct cause and effect, but at the same time as we were creating this surveillance society, we're also creating surveillance families where particularly parents are increasingly watching and monitoring their children, I and mean, people put black boxes in kids' cars when they're teenagers that monitor when exactly they break, at which intersections, how fast they're going, how fast they take turns, when they you know exit off, et cetera, et cetera they are act, they're actually software programs that parents buy. And in which the school sends a readout of every single calorie a kid consumed at lunch, every potato chip, chocolate chip cookie, French fries, etc., is beamed back to the parents um, through the sophomore, software, and it's, it's very popular nationwide. Um, private detectives report that kids are being monitored. So, I mean, so kids are being watched and watched and watched from the from the get go in their lives. But what what is the cost? Well, trust is really the cost because any time you're um you know, watching and spying on a kid or anyone, you're basically saying you don't trust them. Um now parents say, Oh, we don't trust everybody else in the world. I'm just trying to keep my child safe. I'm just trying to get peace of mind about my child. But um it's you know frankly they're also Saying whether they like it or not, they don't trust their child, and so much of this surveillance is. And so um, it's it's really interesting to think about the nature of trust. Well, trust is a risk taking, and why is it in this anxious world when we seek to control our children's lives, and we seek to control so much? The you know neurotically compulsively, we seek to control so much of our own little tiny environment because we feel so frightened about the big environment. um, You know that's that. That's when we feel like we can't take risks, and um, you know, it strikes me as very reflective or, or sort of a echo of past societies, um, say even pre Middle Ages, when people were very tribal and they were highly suspicious, and they had extraordinary mythologies to explain now what we um, what we learn from science and. So um, this kind of surveillance and this sort of loss of trust, I think, it is just another outcome of the social cost that I was talking about um, in a dark age.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I saw the um, the head of Homeland Security on uh, the Bill Maher show on uh Bill mm-hmm. and and um, Bill Maher, of course, is a liberal, uh, smarmy guy. And um, yet, and so it surprised me when he let this go when she, he'd said something to the effect of basically the obama administration wants to do with with homeland security is almost turn it into like a community service like they really want to get the message out there that that everyone's in this together that we should all be (laughs) surveilling each other you know since the national guard is overseas and the army is overseas you know we should really sort of hunker down and um you know not feel bad i guess about it i mean i mean it really sounded like are, are you are you kidding me? And it reminds me, you know, I live in New York and we have this subway ad campaign of you see something, say something. Right. And nobody really wants to tell you what that something is. Right. And, but the, but they're all couch, trying to couch it in these nice community terms as if this is some community building experience. And it, I don't know, it just um, it reminds me that when we had all of this as a science fiction and you would, you know, think about the future in, in these sort of Orwellian terms. Um, you never really thought that, like, the public would go along with it, right? I mean, there was always just sort of either either the future was this way and there was no how did it get this way, or it was that people struggled against it, but there was some oppressive force that made it this way. But it seems mm-hmm. that we kind of want this, and I guess that's right. sort of what's scaring me. Well, exactly. Anybody, and any I wisdom think... for me so I can sleep at night?
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's what... Um you know Huxley or Orwell um saw all along i mean they were so brilliant so perceptive that they really saw how both in totalitarian societies and then in um and then in sort of more subtle um societies of control that people would human beings would kind of running like go along with it and so um i think that it's uh, it's really hard for people to the big picture especially in a time of flux and a time of transition so it's really very very difficult to see technologies uh, impact on our lives for instance when they're very 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 new you know I used to joke when I talked to different groups about how no one rate in Radio Shack takes you um, when you buy it when you go to buy a cell phone it's just a simple um, you know, materialistic um, Transaction, but really, someone should take you behind the scenes in Radio Shack and give you counseling and ask you, you know, do you really realize how much this thing is going to change your life? <laughs> it's it's a lot more complex than you might think. So it's really difficult to see the to see the horizon, see the forest with the trees, et cetera.
0: Mm-hmm. You have a, your, your book is really great to me in that pretty much every page there's always at least like one or two sentences that could go on a calendar. <laughs> You know, that sort of encapsulize everything. Uh, and here's one of them. Uh, we need to consider what kind of literacy we will forge for society awash in words, and yet increasingly lacking in higher forms of attention that form the bedrock of reading. I wrote it out, so I'm trying. I'm, I'm squinting at my own handwriting here. So what kind of literacy will we have when we're awash in words, but we don't have any access to deep meaning? Are we, is that essentially, are we literal... Are we fundamentalists at that point?
3: Well, um, that's a tremendously huge question. Um, But I think when people are literate and yet they're not able to um, go beyond the surface meaning of, say, the text, um, I think you'll find, um, you know, you'll find people who are less and less able to uh, understand nuance. You know you'll you'll see uh increasingly black and white thinkers you know people whose uh level of public debate is really low, you know as we've seen in the presidential debate debates increasingly um you know uh there's very little actual give and take there's more just sort of chanting mantras and hoping the public swallows it um you know that kind of thing, and the presidential debates have been really um incredibly horrible, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, this is what happens. And then if you go even further, well, um, think about the loss of imagination, you know, um, think about the, ca- the loss of possible in, you know, an inner life, um, you know, attention, without attention, children can't develop a conscience, because you have to um, pay attention not only to Say the physical act of stealing the cookie from the cookie jar, but you also have to pay attention to those sort of abstract concepts of ethics and, and your own moral compass and et cetera all the while while you're, have your hand in the cookie jar. So it's a, it's really an an intentional issue or attention is necessary for developing the conscience. And so I think that, um, you know, you know, and, and when you look at literacy also is the stepping stone toward um phenomenal worlds of uh imagination in terms of great literature um and the incredibly complex ideas that have come down to us in books you know in from authors from Tolstoy to Dickens to um, you know, many nonfiction great writers too. Um, you know if that can't if people can 't sit still long enough to grapple with the text if they can't reflect on what 's being what they 're being exposed to um if they can't uh again you know wrestle with their moral compass when they 're come up against either um the horrible wrong in literature or horrible wrong um, you know on their doorstep well then we 're really facing a diminished life.
0: Well, I was gonna be smarmy and say, well, I, they're probably just waiting for the day when they can inject that knowledge directly into their brains. But I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, maybe it's worse than that. Maybe the um the sort of I me mean mine business that's been going on uh, for the last few decades in building is a response to um not having that literacy um and just sort of saying, you know what, whatever. Um if if I'm not gonna be able to pay attention um or or have the facility for attention. Then I'm going to make the right and cool thing to be uh, dumb, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. to be uh, all over the place, and um, and therefore that becomes irrelevant. And so it becomes mm-hmm. this sort of cyclical thing, feeding on itself, leading to a dark age. Jeff, would you like to okay. jump in?
2: Well, I, I agree with so much of what Maggie says here, and I think it's brilliant that somebody takes a step back and looks at this kind of stuff. Here, here's my rant for this show. I think, in my opinion only, I think that video games are probably going to be the downfall of our generation, or our children's generation, rather, as a whole. I think um, as much as I love playing them with my kid at some time, I definitely do not plug in uh anywhere near like I did when they were a new thing, when they were a new toy. I think probably what aggravated me the most uh, about a video game is the fact that there's the game called rock band and guitar hero that comes out that essentially is pressing buttons on a fake plastic guitar. And the setup will cost you as much as a real instrument will. <laughs> and, uh, and when my son asked me for that, uh, he says, can we get that? Can I get it for Christmas? Uh, and me being a guitar, a guitar player since I was nine years old and I'm 42, it incensed me. And I said, sure you can get it, but here's the, here's the, Here's the rub with that. You're going to get a real guitar, and you're going to learn how to really play, and you're going to play it twice as much as you get to play the game. Eventually, the game fell by the wayside. Now he wants to play the bass guitar more than he wants to play a video game these days, it seems, uh, which is a good thing. But That's so great. many so many children, though, come home, plug into that, and play till it's time to go to bed. Stop to eat, possibly. You know, and, and at the very beginning, I said to my son, I said, don't you want to go out and play with your friends like at the pool? Don't you want to go ride your bike? Don't you want to go play baseball? And I really, I had to forcibly say, look, this is law. Two hours a day is enough, and then you're going to go outside. And uh, I would say on the rare occasions, such as when Jeremy comes up and he and I are busy with things and we're out gallivanting around, kind of gets his... He kind of gets his way on the video games. But by and large, we've, we've cut him off to a, a pretty big degree. And he gets really bent over it. But I saw, just from my own point of view, from my own child, that the longer, number one, the schoolwork immediately seems to suffer. Immediately.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and this is not all children, I'm sure, but my own is, uh, is going to summer school for honors biology. He's a, a straight-A kid. But, uh, you know, I think schoolwork suffers. I think, he, I think he would rather plug into that and have that be his socialization time. Uh, and I noticed, you know, maybe a few years ago that my son was actually somewhat socially retarded in that he didn't know how to interact with other kids because the only interaction he knew... Was as you said, with a machine in between, hmm. uh, and I think that uh, you know, since we've we've pulled him out of that, uh, he has other interests. He has uh, you know his bass guitar. He's got music that he likes to listen to. He likes to read books, but I don't think enough people are doing that. And um, yeah, no,
3: but I I do hear story after story of people who have set the parameters and done the boundaries and then some have have actually been thanked by their teenagers mm-hmm. saying, wow, you know, yeah. I, I, I like, I like getting removed from that because, I mean, I think that another mistake we're making is we're mistaking technological fluency with the ability to create wisdom. I mean, because a mm-hmm. kid can press buttons actually doesn't mean that they are seeing the way of the future or know how to educate themselves or et cetera, et cetera. I mean, if yeah, it's murder
2: must. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Yeah,
3: abdicating, abdicating ourselves to a so-called digital native isn't going to do us any good.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, and the other thing that I had a question for you about, I guess it's a question, something that I've, I've really noticed, and especially in regards to my own, my own kid, honors biology. He was failing it. Every other class was really great. Honors biology just doesn't wouldn't cut it for him. He does want to go into technology, uh, information technology when he gets uh, older and and uh, enters the workplace. So we foster that because that's his interest is is uh, programming and coding and all of this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Biology didn't really interest him. And when I went into the teachers, and this is this has probably been every teacher that we've spoken to where he's had some sort of uh, And every kid has them. He's certainly not a unique case by any stretch. Every kid has problems in school at one time or another. And you go in and you talk to a teacher, and you say, well, when he doesn't turn in his homework, what do you say? And she said, well, we don't really say anything. I said, well, you know, when I was a kid, you got yelled at for that. And you got made an example of for that. Or you uh, were somehow, I don't want to say humiliated, but you were definitely made an example of to do your homework.
3: Um,
2: And it seems like, I mean, especially with school, and I think this is all, all the discussion tonight is really going to have to focus on our kids and the fact that we've become this, I don't know, overly sensitive, (laughs) I don't know how to put it, other than, you know, the whole political correctness of don't embarrass a child because you can critically scar them for life or, you know, don't make an example out of a child because he'll feel less than You know, isn't that the kind of things that make a human being struggle to be better, to to learn more, to be more focused, to be more creative? Uh, It seems like moreover in this country, I'd say in recent years, is this big celebration of mediocrity. You know, uh, great, you got a D. At least you passed. You really gave it your all. You really tried. You know, that's never flown around my house. Uh, It didn't fly when I was a kid. You know, if you came in with a D, that was like a death sentence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you weren't going to ride your bike for a week. You weren't going to go swimming at the pool. It, it, right. it just seems to be this big celebration of, well, at least you tried, and that's all that matters. And that's not all that matters, really. Um, no, no. I
1: mean,
3: So I mean... Where,
2: where do you think that comes from?
3: Well, I think it actually com- circles back in many ways to uh, that culture of... Um, Risk as a culture that abhors risk taking. Um, you know, it actually was um, interesting to me when I was doing research about surveillance and trust and, and social relations that it was really in the 18th century, in the age of enlightenment, that people began to feel that they could control their environment because enlightened mm-hmm. man, rational man, could apparently, you know, control the world and, and we had mapped the world so now we can control it. That's when insurance was invented. Because people felt as though they could wager on risk for the first time. They felt like man was in control of his world or, or her world. Um so, but now we've carried this to such a further, further degree that we um, in some ways, I don't think the world is any more dangerous for kids. First of all, I don't think the world is any more risky than, say, in the days of the bubonic plague or highwaymen or ship sinking, etc. But what what's changed is that we have this anxiety, especially as parents with with fewer children, of course, who do survive more often, but there are fewer of them. We have this anxiety about um, controlling the world for them and so from that um you know cre- is created the helicopter parenting and the idea that children didn't don't need to be held accountable for their actions and and the coddling the great american um you know prince and princess of the family etc so i think that that's i mean there're probably many other reasons why fam parents are so I've heard lots of other theories, but I think I really do think that that's an, an important reason why um, we coddle kids and don't hold them accountable and don't um, and then and then shortchange, actually cripple their ability to be independent. Because to be an independent person who um, you know has their inner voice, who has their own um, moral compass, who solves their own problems, well, you have to. Um, Deal with your own problems, and you have to stumble, and you have to. There's a great book by a psychologist in California called "Blessings of a Skin Knee," in which she took Jewish teachings and and talked about how you know kids have to swim for themselves, and we really need to let them fly and fall and stumble and and suffer for it. Um, and and you know, furthermore, um, this ability of, of this controlling risk. Um, in some ways, this is a not what I. And one of the themes of my book, I think, was again this question of what it means to be human. And in an age when we think that we can push a button and make it better, and that's what video games do: push the button, make it all better, and push a button, you're the hero. Push a button, it's easy to fix the problem, and so uh, you're pushing a button, and you're not really suffering. And so the world is. Um, alluring that's an alluring world when there's no accountability when you push a button and turn away when you push a button and make a new friend when you you know etc etc et etc cetera, et cetera, et cetera. but that entirely ignores the reality of our humanity we're mortal we're bloody we're you know suffer pain etc that entire that ignores the entirety of actually um uh, uh, you know the wisdom of the ages. Every religion known to man um, has uh, as its as its core findings that life is about suffering, and in actually feeling and sensing and being human, you have to suffer. But that's when it's worthwhile.
1: Now, there's a
2: reset button when you die. Um, I mean, I've seen exactly what you're talking about with um, with, with with all of this. I mean, I think when you talk about children being monitored and all of that, I mean, wasn't that all pretty much born out of just being poisoned with so much information. We know where every pedophile lives. Now we've got a database of what, who's in your neighborhood. and um, you know, and we hear about every child that is abducted. We hear about every child that is hit by a car or shot by a drive by shooting. I mean, isn't it doesn't, I mean, I try to find like, where's the core of where this Genesis happened that we all of a sudden have to, keep track of our child's every move, how fast they go in a car and, and all that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I too question how useful that even is. Um, cause kids are always going to find a way around anything. I know I did. I mean, uh, if, if my parents knew half of what I did as a kid, they'd have, <laughs> they'd have put me away somewhere. But, right. um, you know, it, it, um, isn't it from just being like, we have too much information and, and, uh, and media that basically inundates us with every horrible thing that this world has to offer. We never hear about, uh, or, or if you do, it's at the very end of the broadcast when they're talking about a human interest story that's kind of touching or, or charitable mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, well, I mean, don't you think that's think, where that all comes from?
3: Um, well, yes and no. I think the too much information is in, in some ways the symptom, not the cause. Um, you know the idea that we need too much in you know all this information that the idea in other words it's not really the blackberry it's the value system that makes us wedded to our blackberry that causes um this that that sort of um you know hyper connectivity or 24/7 work so i think that truly the value systems um that came long before this hyper vigilance of parenting um you know for some it was it was because we saw a need to leash our children and we see that you know a certain um inability to live without knowing everything they need they that they that they're doing, and then we seek out this tremendous amount of, of set up structures where where we were were inundated with information about their where they're going and doing, and then what the information does to us as I was writing in, in my book is that it actually fragments the child you can't see and feel and experience a whole person when they're just uh, data points and that's right. what all of this surveillance does um, basically it 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 fragments it almost dissects them um, you know in into little data points that charge the you know the lunchroom readouts, the black box, the the um the, the stuff that people put on the parental controls on the computers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The kid is a thousand data points. And yet where are they the the, the where is the person? Um and so when you're not when you're hardly face to face with them, um, you know, through no malevolence of your own, but when when time is so fleeting, when time around the table or, or face-to-face or conversation is so rare, um, then it's much easier to turn to all that information and data points. So I I think the information is the, the fruit of the tree that we've um, created in a lot of ways.
0: What do you see as the antidote to this, or what, what do you think could happen?
3: i 'm actually optimistic in many ways i'm more optimistic than when I started writing this book um, for a couple of reasons. Um, you know first of all, I see more and more um, conversations, public conversations, private conversations about these very issues about the use of technology uh, as a sort of panacea and a lifestyle rather than as a tool about the um, you know what children need to really learn and how they can think. Um, I see parents pulling the plug on many gadgets and parents themselves you know realizing that uh, life you know parenting is sort of empty when you are missing every you know soccer goal that your kid made this season because your nose was in the blackberries. so I see at all levels of society a real questioning of um the culture of distraction that I've written about, so that's very heartening and then even in in trying to grapple with all these issues myself, um, I became very optimistic simply because, um, and this is not the only answer, it's not a panacea, but um, it's very heartening that uh, we now know more about attention than, than humankind ever has. You know, scientists in the last 20 years, 30 years have begun to decode decipher what attention is, Um, you know, the different networks that I've talked about, when do these networks develop in children, how we can strengthen it. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to play computer, certain types of computer games that um, some people say improve your attention. Um, There are ways, and we'll be discovering more ways as long as we want to um, rekindle focus. So I've been talking to people about um, what I'm calling a renaissance of attention, um, you know, which might sound kind of um, silly or overreaching, but I think that when people begin to question the the lifestyle, the distraction, um, the costs, uh, then we really, truly can turn ourselves around and 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 um you know avert at least the worst of the dark time and then begin to think more in more focused and uh, Wiser ways about what is the role of technology, and you know how do, do we want robots that can outthink ourselves, and and what is um, you know what is old age going to look like, uh, and how can we develop kids who can converse and love and look each other in the eye, and 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 not send a text message when their uh, you know friend dies, but actually pick up the phone. <laughs>
0: Well, Maggie Jackson, thank you very, very much for coming on our show. do um, you want to give a website or? Uh,
3: yes, I have a website and it's uh, www.maggie-jackson.com. I do a lot of speaking so I can be contacted there. Uh, and I've got a blog, um and you know, a regularly written blog, but <laughs> it's there and um, so you can track some of my writings. I'm a columnist at the Boston Sunday Globe. Uh, and uh, you can see, of course, uh, where to get the book and some more information on the issues we've been talking about today. And I, I really appreciate your time and your um, you know, wonderful conversation on these important topics.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, and thank you so much for coming on. And your your book uh, comes out in September in paperback, correct?
3: It does. It comes out in paperback, so available everywhere. Woo-hoo. Okay, sure. thank you very much, Maggie. <laughs> Thanks, Maggie. Okay, thank you, Jeff, and thank you, Jeremy. Good night.
2: Hi, I'm Dennis McKenna, and you're listening to Jeff and Jeremy on Paratopia.
1: Gary Radio, the endeavor for esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Gary Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. Laugh. This is Bill Burns from UFO Magazine and UFO Hunters. You know, there are several ways that you can get UFO UFO Magazine. magazine.
0: Yeah, we know, Bill. We know, we know, we know. Just shut up. Just give us one way. Don't tell us you're psychic and, you know, give 8,000 phone numbers and take 15 minutes of our time where we just want to hear the show. Just tell us how we can get UFO Magazine in one way.
1: Okay, okay. Just go to www.ufomag.com. Subscribe online. You happy? Was that so hard? Actually harder than you know.
0: Peritopians, as you know, um we don't normally do infomercial style commercials, but um run a little bit low on cash, costs a lot to do this podcast, so I searched all around the net and I found a product that I feel comfortable telling you is near and dear to my heart. It's um called Moob Cream. Um, they might be changing the name to Moob Be Gone, but uh, for now it's Moob Cream. Uh, it isn't FDA approved, but it will firm up your moobs, your, your man boobs. Now, Jeff doesn't know I'm doing this commercial, so just don't tell him. He'll he'll thank me when the revenue stream comes pouring in. So without further ado, here is Meg Smith, president of uh, the Moob Cream Company. Tell us all about our new product, um, starting with what the name of it is.
1: Well, uh, we're working on the name. Right. I mean, uh, we're we're trying to find something a little more catchy. You know, like uh, possibly Moob Begone.
0: Moob be gone.
1: Hmm. Yes, one of the names I'm 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 running by the developers.
0: Are you gonna have so. like commercials like Mubo or Userin <laughs> or something like that? You know.
1: Well, I don't really think that Userin is our our main competitor. They're not really they are not really on the same plane as we are, you know? Because all they do is moisturize, and we do so much more than that.
0: Well, yeah, tell us what Moob Cream does.
1: Well, basically, they, they take those fabulous little floppy things that would look so awesome if they were hair-free and not on a man's body. Sure. And uh, and they make them firm and more masculine-looking.
0: More masculine So it's kind of like working out but without the exercise and the sweat.
1: Exactly, exactly, and it does put a nice sheen on them, you know, mm-hmm. for that uh, romance novel esque looking art on the cover of a, a romance novel book. You oh. know that nice romance novel sheen, like that a Fabio they have. sheen, kind of. Oh yes, Fabio indeed. Fabio indeed. Well, He's have... actually a, a user of our product.
0: Is he? Wow, that's that sounds fantastic. I didn't realize um, Fabio was actually. Um kind of a, a fat retard just using cream, but that's good to know. That's well,
1: easy. I mean, how, how do you think he got to uh, look as, as good as he does today? I mean, you got to start somewhere.
0: Well, you'd think that this would be FDA approved by now, but I guess, you know, baby steps. Um, so who applies the Moob Cream? I mean, is it something that I can do myself to myself? Is it something that I'm going to have to, or how does that work?
1: You could. Uh, personally, I I like to apply it for someone, because I find that it really enhances the experience. Um, you know, something about someone else's skin touching the moobs just really brings out the active ingredient, of which I don't know the name, because I can't pronounce it, but it's very active.
0: It's an, what is, yeah, it's not a passive ingredient.
1: Oh no, it's definitely active. More oh. active than you'd think. And, uh, yeah, so, so you could apply it yourself, but it's it's one of those things where it's it's just more fun if you invite a friend. You know, a Moob Begun party, if you will.
0: And uh, what sort of man is Moob move, uh, move Begun not for?
1: Uh, I would say the men belonging to the uh, itty-bitty man-titty committee or, uh, you know, men resembling bookmarks. Hmm. This would not really be the product for them.
0: So sort of thin, arguably successful... Uh, probably handsome men, would not use Mood Cream.
1: Well, I don't know that you have to be successful to uh, to not need Mood yeah, Cream. Yeah. I mean, surely it would help your success if you had said cream, but, I mean...
0: Uh, how long have we been doing this? Two minutes? What do we got, like, nine minutes to go of this shit? All right, Um. so what else should we know about Mood Cream? Anything? Active ingredients? Um, anything that's going to... Um, to cause cancer or that that we should worry about
1: oh sure, it definitely does not cause cancer. I mean, we've done many studies with many different test groups, and it causes nothing but awesomeness and uh <laughs>
0: nothing but awesomeness and
1: yeah. nothing but awesomeness and and more frequent sex wow. is is basically the only side effects um because apparently you know men aren't the only ones who like to grab onto something firm you know i'm 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 finding that women are really into that especially at this day and age
0: well thank you Meg Smith the product is uh move cream i guess you're you're gonna call it what again move move and be gone move be gone okay thank you very much um and uh what we can get this uh, probably on the internet right most likely uh you'll be sending something to all of our uh, spam folders about this
1: Oh, yes, and uh, I I think we'll be available at Walmart
0: soon. And at Walmart. Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much again, and uh, you, I hope, are a proud sponsor of Peritopia. We're we're proud to have you on board. Thank you again.
1: Indeed. Thanks for having me.
0: I want to go back to something, a point that I was trying to make, which is that I think that, that in the past, ages, historians tell you what an age is, right? Enlightenment the Dark Ages, the whatever, you know, the Iron Age, the Age of Industry, whatever it is, it's always an after the fact historian tells you what that age meant. But now we've been told that we're going into the information age. And so that was my point. Is is yes, of course it looks like the information age now. But who told us that? Who does who dictated? Who decided we're gonna be the information age? Not the age of wisdom, not the age of spirituality or even spiritual machines, as some might have thought, but will just be the information age. And the emblem was going to be, um, you know, or at least of Homeland Security was going to be, uh, you know, the, the the giant eye of the pyramid watching over the earth with giant green light coming from it, you know, as if money. You know. uh, I mean, all of that to me is um, almost a concerted effort. Um, in, in and as you know, uh, in our little neck of the woods, it's easy to say conspiracy theory, you know, on that concerted effort, but it's not a conspiracy. It's really that we are at home with where we're going and what we're doing. It really is Mike Judge's idiocracy movie, you know?
2: Why come you ain't got one of these?
0: <laughs> Why come you don't have tattoo? <laughs> uh, and that's what worries me the most, is that we're we're smiling on this collision course with the fiery pits of hell. Uh, and just calling it another day. And that's, you know, I don't know how you do get a renaissance out of that until so it all comes crumbling down and then you rebuild well, from there.
2: Let's um let let's let's put it this way. I, I see what Maggie's saying about it. I see what you're saying about this. I told you my story about this. I, I mean I see it on the most basic level as a parent at times. I also see it, you know, when you communicate with anyone online on a message board. Uh, I think one of the big reasons that we like our message board is because, like we've said before, there's no morons on there. there's no people who can't communicate on there. It seems like we do have a very intelligent audience that communicates via the message board. Try going to some other ones. It's frightening yeah. it's frightening that people are online and can't write a complete grammatical sentence correctly it's It's really frightening, but here's the other side of the coin to the you know the information society. Uh, or, or information age. I mean, I think what they were probably getting at is that, you know, if you didn't have the internet, you'd have to go to the library. You'd have to open a book or, or, or get a newspaper or, or whatever. Now we're just, it's available to our fingertips, which in a way is a great thing. The problem is, is, is that it's too much now. Uh, we've got MSNBC, CNN, um, you know, all of these, I and mean, these these are websites and television uh, we're inundated with with information. It's just too damn much.
0: Um, it's, it's more than that, though, because when the information age term was coined, uh, what went along with it was that from now on the global currency would be information. You know, it would be all about surveillance and spying and trade. You know, countries trading information. Uh, you know, however that works out. And I would assume extrapolate from that corporations trading your personal information, uh, so that other corporations can sell you shit. I mean, really, that's what we're we've come to. That's what we are. This is our our present and future is just we're a commodity, we're a statistic and a commodity to be bought. Well,
2: I, I think I think that uh, I think at some point in our history, that's probably going to fall away. I think you know the materialistic you know consumer is eventually going to throw up and uh, and all that's going to hit a wall. And I think this recession that we're in right now has made a lot of people do that. I think it's made a lot of people you know, stay home and have a barbecue rather than go out to TGI Fridays or all of that. There are good points to this. You and I would not know each other if there weren't an internet. Agree? Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Then there wouldn't have been podcasts. Uh,
2: there wouldn't have been internet. podcasts. There w- But then again, I mean, and this is something that I heard, and I can't just remember where internet. I saw it.
0: I mean, like she said, it's like the internet and the BlackBerry and that sort of stuff. Those are just the tools. It's the mindset. That makes yeah. you say, I've got to use these in a specific way. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it's got to be, you know, and it, for most of us, it's the shallowest way possible. Mm-hmm. Right down to writing LOL instead of laugh out loud, you know, just everything <laughs> is a shortcut in life. And
2: yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean,
0: um, and to me, you know that, what? I mean, that's more interesting than listening to her speak about the potential future based on now. It's far more interesting to me and deep, than reading a Joe McMonigle book where he's talking about like, you know, in, in 2013, ostrich burgers will be all the rave.
2: Dogs will be able to vote.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, if you think about just like what a prophecy is and what a remote-viewed future looks like, it's always sort of surface, shallow events. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. a reflection of what the people are. You know? culture. And this to me is more scary than a giant earthquake in the future or having to eat ostrich.
2: Well, because in the future, we probably will all be watching Owl My Balls. Um, (laughs) So, you know, um, you better shut up or I'm going to smack you with my ass base. I mean, you know, we are heading towards that idiocracy unless we unplug from some of this stuff and learn how to I mean, look at what they were doing in that movie. That movie, to me, is so brilliant because uh, you know the, 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 there are no crops. Nobody's working with their hands. Okay, so and they realize, or or uh, it, who's the guy that the star of the uh, movie? I can't remember his name.
0: Uh, Luke Wilson.
2: Okay, uh, I mean the main character, you know, basically comes out of this coma-like sleep for so many hundreds of years, and, and we've we've de-evolved into this media consumer driven society and they're watering crops with Gatorade because they don't know what water is anymore. They, they're they like water. That's what you, that's what's in the toilet, you know? Um, and, and, and he says to them, look, I don't think this Gatorade is working for the plants. It's that's a energy drink. That's a, you know, And but the girl says, but it's got electrolytes. And he, he's like, what does that mean? You know, I mean, it, it's, it's everything that Maggie was talking about extrapolated over somebody saying, whoa, <laughs> somebody not saying, whoa, put on the brakes and the whole society just devolves de- into this bunch of, you know, te- over testosterone, testosterone, you know, uh, rude, ignorant, ignorant doors. Yeah. Uh, you're like money and fuck dude, you're freaking me out. <laughs> I mean, it's like, <laughs> it's like that is, that is what, it, what the future is. That's why that movie is so entertaining, number one, so horrifying when you really think about it.
1: And then the it,
0: other it, thing it, that bothers me is um, the, the the thinking, you know, you want to be altruistic and say, uh, just because we can build a robot that's smarter than us, say, doesn't mean that we have to. It doesn't mean that we have to strive for that. But there's always going to be the inventor who does, no matter what we say.
2: Because so we're looking for... The, that's
0: a foregone conclusion. If it can be invented, it will be.
2: Mankind is looking for the next slave, and it will be the robot. And um, it will be
0: us. Do we not listen to any of the sci-fi authors?
2: Yeah. I only have so many words to say about the whole robotics industry. Da-dun-dun-dun-dun. Da-dun-dun-dun-dun. da dun 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 You know? Yeah. Wake up. Gonna
0: kill us. But that's I mean, the thing. Back then, that's the thing. When these stories first come out, they're horror tactics. They're like, this could be your future. But then when you actually, a future of one, one of those types attaches itself to us, we just uh-huh. march right into it. And we're like, you know what? I would like a chip in my finger because I'm sick of having to take out my credit card to pay for things. I'm sick of all this money.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it it
0: just be easier if they could just scan your retinas? I mean, it would just be easier. It at the, look it if you could just inject yourself with knowledge and just bypass all this schooling?
2: It, it, well, you know, you know what cracks me up is, uh, what is it, uh, Abo, the mechanical dog, that uh, that you can buy for like a couple thousand dollars? I guarantee you, if that thing shit nuts and bolts all over the floor, nobody'd want it. Wouldn't you rather have this that'll go over in its recharge port and not have to get up in bed and smell and leave ticks in your bed? and You know, it's like... That crap worries me. I mean, it's an interesting toy, but you know, go out in the, on the web and look at some of the people who have websites that where they show you. Look, here's my here's my mechanical dog doing something cute. What? Uh, and what was the other thing that I? Oh, uh, the military inventing. I'm sure everybody's seen this by now, and you probably have the thing that looks like a robotic dog that is supposed to carry equipment and uh, and supplies.
0: Donkey or something.
2: Like a, yeah, it looks like a black dog donkey. It's got real long... And the thing is creepy. It is
0: creepy. The movie uh, is so realistic.
2: Well, they ran it across ice, and it slips, and then it writes itself. And it looks like Harvey Corman, you know, slipping on ice and writing himself. <laughs> it's creepy. And I'm thinking to myself... Isn't that fascinating? And then something in the back of my head says, "Yeah, let's see how fascinating it is when it's got a laser beam and it's sawing up in the back of your skull after it chases you down and pounces on you. (laughs) You know, I mean, I mean, that's where I go with this. Uh, I think a lot of this robotic stuff is incredibly creepy, especially the stuff coming out of Japan where we've got a girl with a, a silicone like face and the real doll, the porn real dolls. How long is it going to be before those things start moving and walking? That's where it's going. And then you want to talk about some depraved shit in this world? Then you're going to see it.
0: <laughs> well, you were, you were asking about, you know, sort of uh, surveillancing and, and keeping kids too safe. And mm-hmm. one of the things she says in her book, there is this evolution of once you get the technology, it's not enough to just have a, a camera. It's like, you get a camera for, or you, you get an audio thing for the baby's room. You know, now you can hear whether it's choking or not. And then you get a camera to make sure it's not falling out of its crib or go, go, you know, walking around the room at night. And then you you want something better, so you get night vision camera. <laughs> and then you want to hear better, so you get a you know the parabolic uh, microphone. Uh, and it just goes on and on, and it it just becomes this sort of you know addiction to that. And so that's part of how I think it, it spirals out of control.
2: Well, that's the that's the desire for more, more, more. And I mean, in
0: mixing in with right uh, the surveillance.
2: I mean, I mean, look at. And I laughed at this, and I said this to Lisa when we were in Best Buy one day. I bought a PSP, uh, the little handheld thing, because I like movies. And I don't ever get to go to the movies, so I basically buy the disc, I put it in there. And it's great to be able to sit up in bed, flip this thing on, and watch a movie while I'm laying in bed and go to sleep. It's just convenient. I enjoy it. And the games on it are fun but I don't play it hours upon hours upon hours. It's a nice device. I enjoy it. The problem is, uh, and I, I found this so amusing, that technology works to make things smaller and more compact and more mobile and versatile. And then you go to Best Buy and you see, well, here's this thing you can put on your PSP that's big speakers with surround sound. And then why don't you add a camera to that? And by the time you get done, the thing is four times the size it was, it was built at. <laughs> I'm like, you know, all these uh people working to make tech- technology smaller and more compact and more versatile, it, 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 all we, all we want to do as consumers is, well, I've got to have those speakers or I'm not part of the cool kids and then I've got to have the cameras so I can do this and by the time you get done, it's this thing you couldn't fit in a grocery basket. I mean, I think there's just this overwhelming desire for more and more and more that, you know. Started in the eighties, everything was more and more, and then some more. That we haven't grown out of that. People over everybody says, "Well, we got back to basics." Really, I think we've gone the opposite way. I think we still want more and more and more. You know, I think you can judge history's culture by its televisions. <laughs> you know, mom and dad had their tiny little uh, uh, Philco TV, and nowadays we've got fifty-seven-inch plasma. Yeah, well,
0: um, there's, there's certainly that. I also think you can judge it by. By its content and by its uh, nightly news programs. Oh, yeah! Not even in terms of what they're showing for you to see, but in terms of what they're showing for you to relate yourself to. Because, you know, I think it started with, like, sports casts, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, the argument would be that, like, football and and all that sort of stuff is is really uh, pro military. Somewhere in the 90s, you know, when when I was in college, I noticed that um, they started doing Wall Street reports. They never did that before then. And so it was kind of like, oh, now you're now you get these Wall Street reports. You're in on this, too. You know, it's always you're part of the ownership class. You're part of the rich people. You're the thing that you've always wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that has just grown just outrageous to the point where now the news programs themselves are called like My Nine News or, you know, I... ITV or whatever you know it's I Google yeah Yeah. I mean it's just it's just creepy and and this again you know uh, the leader of Homeland Security going on uh, Bill Maher who is liberal and smarmy and prides himself on catching such things right over his head when she said let's make surveillance a an act of community service you know it's like that's where we are where even that guy can't catch it because it it just is so commonplace
2: Well, you, you know what? You mentioned that ad campaign on the subways in New York. Uh, what you, is it again? If
0: you see something, say something.
2: Yeah. And to me, all of that came out of nine eleven, where the agencies weren't talking to each other. And that's been kind of drilled into everybody's skull now that, you know, we've got to watch out for each other and, you know... And
0: think about how long this has been. I mean, it doesn't oh, feel like I know. That long ago because time compresses itself, really, but... I mean, 2001 was quite a while ago at this point. Almost a decade. And this ad campaign is still going on.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I, I, well, I got issues with all of that. And i tell you what really gets me is I don't watch the news. I don't. I don't watch the news. If anybody were to ask me what's going on in politics right now, I couldn't tell you. The last thing I caught a snippet of was Sarah Palin is not not the governor of uh, wherever the hell she's from anymore. I passed that. Past that, I I don't even give a shit. I mean, I, I think she's hot as hell, so that's why I caught that snippet. Anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to hear her talk. I just want to look at her. But uh, <laughs> why come you ain't got one of those? She's hot. <laughs> uh, anyway, you look at the news. When we were kids, you had the news at noon and you had the news at six. Now you've got the news on the sixes. <laughs> You know, we don't need that much it's information
0: all the time. And then it is just information. There's nothing newsworthy about the news by any stretch. And yeah. it used to be the the reason was because they needed to please their sponsors or because, you know, GE owned them. And so there's a finite amount of dirt digging you can do when a giant people corporation owns you. Uh, right. So but now it's like the leash is off the pup and we are the well, thing. You know, we're well, the problem at this point.
2: Look at, I mean, and here's the other really retarded thing for me. Look at Michael Jackson's passing. We got a full-scale crash course in drugs. Sleeping drugs, you know, uh, what is, whatever the drug he was supposed to have been injected with, and then what was the next one, and what's bad about it, what's it do, and we got graphs and charts and maps showing the progression of the drug through the body and how it puts you to sleep, and then what's the side effects, and (laughs) I mean... Who gives a shit? The man is dead. He he was obviously given something and it killed him. Do we need to know what that drug was and everything about it? And you know, and then we got into doctors keeping their celebrity patients drugged and happy. That probably should have been publicized a hell of a lot more than what the drug was and why in the world would he be taking it? And what's going to happen to them kids? By the way, you know, I mean, none of this is our business. I mean, I, of course, all goes back to Paris Hilton and, you know, the ma- most famous w- woman in the world who does nothing. A- and I don't get any of that. I, I just I don't understand any of it. And and the more I watch TV and the news in particular, the more I just get pissed off and go again. What am I doing here? You know, this is just it's a it's society gone mad with information. There's too fucking much. We don't need it. The problem that I see is that everybody's watching this information, but nobody knows anything. You know, look at our interest paranormal. How many people go on and say, well, I know Stephen Greer is the real deal. Well, how do you know? Well, I watched one of his lectures on YouTube. <laughs> really? Did you go listen to him live? Did you talk to him? Did you? Yeah. I mean, people actually going on the net. I've researched this for three years. Great. Where oh, on the net, I've looked up and I've I've emailed all these people. Did you go meet them? Did you talk to them face-to-face? Did you interview them on a podcast? Did you know? And these are the people that really are ill-informed and then pass on the bad information, which gradually gets repeated and repeated over the net until it becomes something that everybody thinks they know. There's that problem. I mean, I think the internet has truly hurt the paranormal uh, fields in general. Ufology especially. Well,
0: I think this gets back I mean, just, to just calling it cool that um, you are uneducated. I think as soon as ignorance becomes the thing that's the good thing, because the other thing that is now bad is unobtainable to you or boring to you, and then you decide that you actually do want to tackle what should be a deep question, you don't have the right tools. So you don't know how to research. You don't even know how to ask the right question. You don't know how to ask a question, period, because you don't have a depth to you. There's something mm-hmm. missing there, you no. Know? Um, mm-hmm. So I think you sort of forfeit your right to uh, be able to be an investigator or ask these questions or whatever until such time as you do gain that depth of—I uh, don't want to say depth of knowledge, but depth of self of being able to formulate a proper question that would bring right. you to a real answer and not just a Google search.
2: Well, that, you that leads why? me back. That leads me back to what I was saying. You
0: Google search it, and you come up with. Theexaminer.com, which is, you know, huh? for all intents and purposes, run by those ex-political fools. So those, 50 those 50 fake million. articles. Yeah. I mean, you might as well be saying, I uh, I learned everything I needed to know from the Inquirer. Oh, huh. <laughs> good. Very good. All right. Three all years right. you read the Inquirer, huh? And that, that makes you a researcher? Right.
1: Inquirer. Well,
2: That, that goes <laughs> that back to what I was trying to say uh, about, I saw a lecture a man gave, and I don't remember where I said it. It was probably boingboing.net which is a great site. If you, if you've never seen it, uh, go check it out. It's just a, it's a, you want to talk about interesting information, things on the net that are interesting to hear about and that, uh, and that are somewhat deep, you know, go check that slide out. They had a, a lecture on there by a guy who, and I'm not sure what I remember of what he said made a hell of a lot of sense to me in that he said that the internet has really killed the artists because there's no editor, And the writers, it's really hurt the writers because there is no editor. Everybody has a voice on the net. Everybody can have their say on the net, but they probably shouldn't. Every self-proclaimed artist out there can put up and exhibit his work on the internet, but a lot of it shouldn't be up at all. And I guess judging from what you just said, who then becomes the editor? Who then becomes the one who says, this is worthy? You know what I mean? How do we... God help me, qualify that.
0: Yeah,
2: I mean, we can say, in, in the paranormal field, we can say, what's an educated opinion and what's not? What's absolute bullshit, as you said, sometimes bullshit's just bullshit, and what's not? That's, in a way, sort of easy to define. There are blurry lines, and there are exceptions to that in some cases, I think, but, you know... The
0: amount of Google searching Greer, for instance, is going to none of his accomplishments are, are going to ever make his statements in Barcelona about uh, having briefed Obama true.
1: Right. Now,
0: of course, the way Greer words things, it's pretty clear that what he probably did was, like, send him an email uh, to, to the offices of President Obama and the CIA director. But he'll never tell you that. But, but because you're a moron...
2: You won't ask. You won't ask. Right.
0: You'll, you'll assume that he did that.
2: Exactly. There you are. I mean, there you are. That's that's it.
0: And that's one problem. And then the other, which is she actually puts in her book, as an example of just how lacking attention we are, uh, the the video, which is now the YouTube video that we have on our site, of the two basketball teams, one in white, one in black, passing around the balls. You follow the ball uh, with your eye, and you try to see how many times it, uh, the white team passes it to itself. And unbeknownst to you, there is a Woman in a bear suit dancing for nine seconds down the middle of the course. The screen, right? And you don't mm-hmm. see it because your eye just doesn't pick it up because that's not what you're concentrating on. So we, we've got this thing called um, aliens that, <laughs> that we like to call aliens here. That's the bear, except that it looks like it probably is an alien. It probably is the girl inside the bear suit. We don't know what the thing right. is inside the alien suit, uh, mm-hmm. but we know that a most of us can't even see the suit. And then, B, if we can, we don't know what's inside the suit. These are the problems of ufology, and it ain't helping us any when...
2: Or we or we you know, think the are, suit is it. <laughs> you
0: know, when we think the suit is it, or when we're so killing our attention that we can't even see the court.
1: <laughs> the game's being played on <laughs> anymore.
0: Right. You know? I mean, eventually, I would think that whatever this thing is that presents itself as aliens would throw its hands up in the air. and be like, you know what? Fuck it.
1: What? <laughs>
2: Why come you talk like a fag? (laughs) I mean, uh, and that's, again, a quote from Idiocracy. You guys got to see that movie. See it. Talk about it. That's worth discussion right there. There's some good discussion on the Internet. Go see Idiocracy. Because in that movie, if you speak intelligently, you're called a fag. That's how the world's (laughs) degenerated. And you know what? I guarantee you there are places on this planet where you go and you would be called a fag for talking intelligently. I'm sure.
0: I'm sure there you know? are states of You'd be um, called some, some
2: yeah, some some yeah. <laughs> Thanks. There would be you you would be called some kind of, you know, of a uh, ridiculous, you know, slur of a, of a well, nasty that name. Where
0: nerd is from back when we were kids. When, oh, yes. gay. Oh, that's gay. That was yeah. an educated kid. That was the honor. That team.
2: was a smart kid. Yeah. Because we celebrate mediocrity, you know. That's, that's what it's all come down to, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. I mean, you know, the, think about it. When you were back in high school, the cool kids or the ones that were considered, you know, bad, quote unquote, were the guys in the leather jackets and the combat boots and the, you know, who smoked dope and and uh, and nailed chicks. And, you know, that was they were the cool people. Really? Because <laughs> now they're the drug out drug addled alcoholics. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and, and ones who really never did much with their life and all of that. I mean, you know, a lot of those people self-destructed and we think that that's cool. God, there's so many friggin' examples of, of that kind of crap going on these days. I mean, you know, right from the, the inner city kids who, you know, feel that there's no other way to go except to be a drug dealer. They see that image of that guy and they think that's what I want to be because he's got everything. Well, and, um,
0: question for you, Jeff. If all of this uh, doesn't correct itself, or we don't correct it, are we a society worth saving in the end?
2: What? <laughs> um, I like to think that it will.
0: I mean, do we need to throw up before we... Uh...
2: <laughs> I, I think we will become gravely ill uh, at some point. and And I think, I think, at least in a consumeristic way, I think we've already thrown up to... To a point because we can't have all the things we used to have because nobody's got any money. And I think that's been a, a big wake-up call. I think that's the start of it. You know, the, the houses that were a half a million dollars and and all that that were that were a simple suburban family home.
0: But doesn't that stuff you know? always come in waves? I mean, that'll, that'll as soon as the economy you know, corrects itself, that'll all get better and millionaires will be made. Well, and then they'll forget about ah. everything and then demand more oil, et cetera, et cetera. Then the environment will collapse, and then we'll all go. Oh my God, we're all going to die. And and my question is, you know, if we never really truly hit bottom with this and become better people, are we worth saving as we are? Is it worth preserving? Cause, you know, you hear about this with these trying to keep this sort of an alien dialogue as much as possible, but you hear of the, you know these dire warnings and things like that, and you know, why don't they just save us? Why doesn't anyone just save us and all that? And and if you did have the power, why why would you save? that species that hasn't woken up out of just that. I mean, wouldn't you let it kill itself to to be reborn anew and better?
2: Well, or at least let it fall, you know, and skin its knee, as they say. So who who knows where it's going to go? Is it going to go towards idiocracy? I I don't, I don't know about that, but it's, it's certainly, I hate to say a possible outcome for this is that we're going to de-evolve as a, as a society as a whole based on media, based on all of that. Because here's the thing when you start talking about look at idiocracy, who was running the t v stations? weren't they smart and that they knew what everybody wanted to watch? <laughs> right. So there is somebody there with but you also some the amount of that things
0: just work until they fall apart and then they just leave them wherever they are.
2: Well, yeah, that's true <laughs> uh, <laughs> We need to get some water out here, like out of the toilet uh.
3: <laughs>
0: But I don't think that we would let it get to that point because I think that we were, we're more concerned with going the way of technology, virtual reality, implanting ourselves, all of that. I think the, the me, 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 I want more, I deserve thing is going to play out to where even the internet isn't fast enough
1: for
2: right. our attention
0: spans. We need to have an implant. We need to be the internet. We need to be connected that way.
2: It's evolving towards something, but what? Who knows? Are, are, we, are, we, gonna, are we gonna wake up and unplug? I mean, I, I I got friends of mine, they go on vacation. If they don't take uh, if they don't have the internet in their hotel room, they won't stay at the hotel.
0: Well, here's what I'm worried about, Jeff. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> it's that we're all gonna plug in, you know, we're all one giant brain set of brains, you know, internet interconnected bunch of brains. Uh and then in that sci fi scenario, you would ask, Well oh my God then who's controlling the internet or my God, then whose consciousness is it that's flowing through these brains? But we're so fucked up that our answer will be, I don't care. Just give me the hookup. And in the past there would be these fears, you know, it would be like, Oh my God, that's, that's a horrible future. And now it's just like, I can't wait. Give this to me.
2: You know how you always talk about the, the oneness thing, the hive and all that sort of thing. Do you think that uh, the internet and all this desire for connectivity and being able to reach people at an instant in faraway places? Do you think that that's all some sort of subconscious desire to be all of the one?
0: Yes.
2: So there's your answer. <laughs> we're struggling for we're, we're we're struggling for something that we just can't get a handle on because we won't work hard enough at you know well, we at becoming more them. aware. We don't we right? But we're it's is, not even you, in the you, equation. Right, but there's a subconscious need to be that one thing. And we're just trying, we're going through all of the substitutions. My guess is the net and all of that will evolve into something completely different than what it is now. And uh, it will be a different version. It will be something else that's struggling to to make that connection, to do that thing. Uh, And it may be that it's minus some things that we don't like about where it is now. Uh, or technology in general may take a step backwards and say, you know, we actually don't need this. We don't need that. Let's just give me this. And that's enough. Who, who knows? I mean, you don't know where any of this is going. If you follow it on its natural progression now, then yeah, I guess you could say, you know, we're headed for some really dumbed down society. I go back to the old 2112 rush album where they, where they say, you know, I plugged into my, my temple vision and, <laughs> and read my temple paper. And that whole album is about, you know, everybody's plugged into this big hub and everybody needs to unplug and discover art again and discover music. And
0: The problem is, like, you would want to say, okay, with what you're proposing, you know, hopefully we'll stop at wall computers that you can manipulate with waving your hand in front of. Maybe that'll be like the end. But it's not. Because if you go, like, um, I signed up for Pal talk So I could uh, listen to UPRN. Excellent. New Orleans.
2: New Orleans. New
0: Orleans. Which I hear we're on, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, In any event, uh, so, you know, listening to it online, and then I went into one of these other chat rooms. I just plugged in general whatever. And this is how a good chunk of people relate to each other. They have webcams. They have voice. They do karaoke on this thing. It's so internalized. It's so what you do on a Friday night that um, that I don't think it can stop with just some external thing, a thing on the wall, a thing in front of you that you just manipulate with your hands and ooh, that's future technology. I think we're going to have to internalize it because it is already so internalized in the structure of how so many of us work.
2: Now, here's the other side. Of it. I don't think we can ignore the positives of all of the stuff that we're exposed to. I don't think we can negate that some kid out there may have no direction at all and not know what he wants to do. He has interests, but none of them really get him off. Uh, and he comes across a uh, a YouTube video of a guy playing classical guitar, and he goes, "Wow, that's it!" You know. And then he's gonna unplug from YouTube. He's gonna pick up a guitar and he's gonna start, you know, learning that kind of thing and is he going to take an online lesson in classical guitar, or is he going to go to an instructor? There's the question. Um, well, I'd like to know what the it,
0: statistic is of that guy versus the guy who a skateboarder. Well, yeah. are nuts on a railing and decides he wants to be a skateboarder. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there. For, I'm sure for every plus there's a minus. Um,
0: I, no, I think for every plus there's about 15 minuses. Sort of
2: I'm a bit more optimistic than you are, Mr. Doom. <laughs> I think people do want to interact with other people with like interests and share information and meet face to face. I think a lot of times when you meet somebody on the internet that's near your house, you go, "Oh wow, you live in you know East Bumfuck too. That's where I live. We should get together and do lunch, or we should we should uh, go out and do this one night, or we should talk, or you should come over." I mean, I'm sure that happens a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, so
2: I think there are is, positive parts to all this. You know, the
0: question is: Are the positive parts uh the general thrust of it or are they just little pools of goodness
2: i don't know I don't, I don't know enough about it yeah i i don't know enough about it
0: i watched uh judge judy not too long ago they had a guy who uh went to visit uh this girl he'd never met he knew her online in, in the world of warcraft <laughs> and of course judy knows nothing about it and it's funny to watch the people in the courtroom like laughing giggling and trying you know biting their tongues, trying not to laugh. If you went to Central Casting and said, I need nerds to play World of Warcraft, you would get these... Socia-
2: Socially retarded people, Socially yeah. Socially
0: retarded. And at one point, Judy asked him what, what your birthday is. And his response was, well, I have two birthdays, which she didn't understand that. She said, mister, I just want the one birthday, or whatever she said, uh, that, that your mother gave birth to you through the womb or through the cesarean <laughs> section. You know, it was like something like that. I thought, wow, this guy, actually in a court of law, in the middle of a lawsuit, thought a proper answer would be to say, I have two birthdays. Presumably, one is when he was born, and the other is when he was born into the world of Warcraft. This is where we are. And not only is that where we are, but I, the one bitching about all of this, am the one watching this for my entertainment. I mean, the whole thing is fucked up.
2: (laughs) As I said a couple of episodes ago... Everyone loves a train wreck. (laughs) Open the gates of that morgue and stare long and hard at that mangled corpse because everybody loves that for some reason. I don't know how long ago this was, but I think I can say this now. I think I'm old enough to remember the first throwdown on a talk show, which was Geraldo, the skinheads. And I, after that, I was like, yeah, this is ridiculous. (laughs) I'm done with this crap. I'm not watching it. Uh, I think I watched the first episode of Survivor, and I'm like, yeah, eh, whatever. I mean, it's it's all just the de- evolving, you know. It's all the de- evolving, and now we've got this other abortion of a show called American Idol, where hey, don't struggle for your musical freedom and independence and talent. Just come on our show; we'll make a star out of you. All of that crap it is um what you mentioned is is absolutely the most dangerous part about it is the people who are or they're socially inept people to begin with there are personalities that are like that they become completely absorbed in you know World of Warcraft or Star Wars Galaxies or you know any of these massively online multiplayer games i remember reading a a big news story that people were outraged over apparently a banker who basically went into this place and said, I'm going to be the biggest banker there ever was. And he took everybody's money and he saved it for him and he gave him great returns and great investments. One day he walked out and took all the money, all of it, left people destitute, stranded. And then I found out this bank is in a video game. It's a scandal. And what did he do with those credits that he stole from this game called Eve Online? He took those credits to a third-party company and sold them for $5,000 real cash to pay his mortgage. There are companies out there that will sell you in-game credits for real money. You can buy a million credits for $10 or $20 or whatever, and they will meet you in the game and give you the credits.
0: So he was like the Bernie Madoff of online gaming.
2: Exactly. This was like, this rocked that entire game. What? It's a game. <laughs> Shut up, unplug, and go play ball. <laughs> you know? Jesus. It's just... All I can say is I'm glad I've not fallen into that aside from doing a podcast and emailing. <laughs> right. And chatting on a message board, you know? But I guess there's always the initial novelty, which is talking to people all over the world, which is neat. But then it goes
0: but then you to realize crap. Realize that nobody has anything to say, and they're all hostile not Uh all, but a lot of them are hostile. Yeah. A lot of them are dumb. There's no, you don't know what the age of anyone is. So you could be arguing your ass off to a 12-year-old and you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's no gender, so you don't know that. It's all anonymity.
2: Yeah. And And Jeremy, have I told you, you really need to go to eHarmony.com to meet your future bride? Is that right? Because you can't do it on your own because the bar scene is nowhere and, all your friends are clueless about what you're all about and who to hook you up with. You need to go online to find your girl. I'm on it. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> I met my wife on a blind date set up by my parents' next door neighbors. Is that right? Twenty on twenty years okay. I've been with this woman. You know, hey, that's how it was done in the old days. Now we need eHarmony and you know, and Adult Friend Finder to go find somebody to poke on a Saturday night. And <laughs> I mean, Jesus, how about charisma? How about, uh, (laughs) hey, baby, (laughs) you know, great dress, whatever. I mean.
0: Well, and the the weird, the ironic thing is, I mean, you do this so that you can present your A game with the understanding that both of you are lying in some way. And when you meet, you'll both really be disgusting and hideous people and take it from there. Is that any different, really, than the bar scene, which is, hey, how you doing? You put on your game face, try to look present. The only difference is that, they can physically see and reject you based on that, based on eyesight, uh, right. in a way that you can't really do on the Internet. But other than that, I mean, it doesn't – the Internet doesn't really um,
2: – But, but can, I bring this, can I bring this up on the show? Can I bring this up on the show about the girl that you went out with, that you met online, who couldn't even have the decency to send you a fucking email to say, Hey, Jer, uh, I don't really think it's working out. Can we do that? Can we say that on this show? And look how upset you were about that. She couldn't have the common decency to flip you an email to say, Hey, Jeremy, I had a good time, but you're just not my type of guy. Or you're really creepy and you freaked me out. Why can't they say that? So it didn't work either way. I mean, at least you're getting it to your face if you say, Want to dance? And she goes, Ew then at least you know. Yeah. Instead, you're kind of in that floaty period where you're like, did she get the message or didn't she or and in the end you realize she just didn't, you know.
0: Well, yeah. Didn't want to go. Up. Thing. We went we went out on this date and then we were supposed to go out again on Monday. Mm-hmm. We had it we had plans. I mean, it was all set up, right? Uh right. and um and then I didn't hear from her and so I uh, emailed again saying, I want to make sure you got the email. Are we still on for Monday?" I mean, it's not like hey, will you go out with me Monday? It's, are we still on for Monday? Right. And um, right. Um, nothing, no response. And so, you know, finally I shamed her into answering. Oh, <laughs> you did? Oh, yeah. I sent oh, her an welcome. email saying, I just want you to know, I didn't peg you as the kind of prick who would not respond and just possibly <laughs> hanging like that. Uh, but whatever, you know. Um, yeah, and she responded apologizing and saying she didn't think she was that kind of prick either. You know, I mean, there there's you real are the answer to it. It was just sorry, you're right, uh, sorry, oh.
2: well, and there you have what Maggie says is what's happening is people are just becoming something that they're not. Most people would have the decency, I'm sure to say something, but because it's on the internet and because you're so you know you're you've got a distance between you, I'm just going to ignore that because you're not a person, you're an email, so there you have it. I'm sure everybody's wondering. Where's the paranormal in this? I'm not. I don't get it.
0: Uh, I think it's the um, the projection of the future. You know, it's the where the hell are we going? Uh, it's how would a phenomenon hide in a culture like this quite easily?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the point. And the other point is that you know,
0: what is it doing to our brain? You know, and what are the other ramifications if our brains are changed? After all, and what's it mean?
2: Right. And what's it doing to people who say, I've researched this? Where? I think it should give people a little bit of pause to say, I'm going to do more than Google. I've always told people, you know, about let's talk about the Meyer case. You know, people would argue with me about that in reference to say what somebody like Michael Malin says about the, the Meyer photographs. He's touted us giving him an okie-dokie stamp, you know. So what do I do? I contact the office where he works and I talk to someone. You know, I talked to someone who you, know, you, you couldn't get a, a direct line to him, but I did get his assistant who relayed the message. I interacted with somebody, and they told me what he had to say about it, which was, "No." <laughs> you know, that's more along the lines of actually doing something, picking up a telephone or getting on Skype and, and communicating if you have to use the internet in some fashion, uh, or go there and talk to that person. And I always said, if you people do what I do, which is pick up the phone, go there, do whatever." Besides Google, I'm confident you'll come to the same answers that I have because we'll have been talking to the same people. If you're content to read and accept and eat what other people are willing to feed you, there's nothing I can help you with. And that's where this leads into that whole area is Reader's Digest version. Don't pick up a phone. Just Google it. And if this guy says this is what he encountered, then that must be what happens. So there's how – talk about how information gets muddied in this. There it is. Well, I'm apparently not smart either because uh, I I, uh, I apparently believe that you're an idiot, and I won't be on the show for very much longer.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to bring that up. Is like this is another <laughs> semi issue. You know, it's it, this is something on, someone on another board on a lesser show said, uh, <laughs> which is oh, 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 oh. that's right. There yeah, it is. I said it. You know, we'll, we'll be hearing about that later, but whatever. So one of one of the the. People there, you know, said that based on last week's episode, which I edited, uh, specifically for the comedy, for the comic effect, that Jeff clearly uh, thinks I'm an idiot, which, okay, he does, clearly. Oh, stop. But that that will lead to him uh, leaving the show and wishing he had never done this little venture with me in the first place. And and I had heard that about my movie, too, from actually one of the hosts of The Lesser Show, saying, Mm. you know, well, clearly his friends and family all think he's... Uh, a phony or delusional or whatever—it's like, like once again, I directed and edited the movie, um, <laughs> so you're seeing what I want you to see
2: to make a laugh, you know, uh, or whatever point,
0: you know, or okay. whatever, you know, whatever it is. But it's like you're not—the point is you're not seeing what I don't want you to see. How do you not know that? Right. If you were yeah. smart. You would know. Like even just a little smart, you wouldn't have written right. that.
2: Well, let's 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 let's, let's, think let's, through let's people. let people. <laughs> let's let, let me let me give uh, listeners a history. I came up with peritopia okay. and I said to you long ago, we should do a show. Right. Yeah. And you go, yeah. Okay. And then I called you on the way home from work and I said, I got it. Peritopia. And you just started laughing. And I'm like, that's the name of the show. I made the logo. I also made the logo for that other show. Uh, I also made the but... t-shirt design, I believe. Did you not? <laughs> Actually, they are selling your design. That's fantastic. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. Uh but this was something I wanted to do. And, and, and I think it's hysterical how, for some reason, I've just been kind of written out of that equation. Uh, I'm just a hapless moron who was, who was seduced by the ever clever Vaney to come onto this show to give up all my credibility. This show is exactly what I wanted to do. It is exactly what I wanted it to be. Or I wouldn't do it. I would say, Jeremy, we need to do something. We need to change this and we need to change that. We're not too much of a douche to have a laugh over certain things and, uh, and poke fun of this where it needs to be poked. But I think that the conversations we've had on this show, it's pretty clear at this point. We're not just these surface paranormal guys. Uh, and I think in, the, in this show and I think in the next one and the one after that, I think people are going to get a fucking clue about that. So, no, I'm, I'm not actually not a hapless moron incapable of making his own decisions in life. This is something I wanted to do. I wanted to do it with with Jeremy because uh, I think he's got a lot of great insights about this, and I'll I'll really thank people not to uh, ever guess my fucking mind because you're treading on very dangerous ground (laughs) in that way. That's true. I think people, uh, some people who are critical of all this have a really warped sense of where all this came from. I'm the one that instigated all of this, so... You know, because I, frankly, I was becoming increasingly tired of going after ufology with a baseball bat and focusing on all the wrong things, which was the fakes and the charlatans and exposés and all all that stuff doesn't mean anything. While everybody's continuing on with that sort of thinking and that sort of uh, shooting fish in a barrel, so to speak, this phenomena continues to go on just like it's always gone on. And we're just involved in other things like con- conflict with each other and conflict with a case, and that is not where we want this to go. And when somebody on another board puts you down because uh, they have a show they like better and put words in your mouth or, or or thoughts attributed to you, like, this is what I think he's doing, does anybody see how absolutely insane that is? I can't be the only one outraged by that kind of nonsense. I don't even know what more to say about it. That, that so completely incensed me that someone could be that fucking stupid to put a sentence up like that, conjecturizing about how I feel and where I'm going to go with this, you don't have any idea who the hell I am. And that, to me, there is the true idiocracy of the internet. That's where it it is for me. That's how dumb it's gotten when somebody will post something like that.
0: Well, it's that somebody will post something like that and it is going to be the gospel unless you say something. If you don't respond to it, then an anonymous person out there who's never met you and just listens to the show uh, might as well be the gospel and could be cited in someone's future paper down the line.
2: And and (laughs) I've got, I've got to come on the show and feel like a moron for getting angry about something like that, but it does piss me off. And and yeah, you're absolutely right. You have to respond to this absolute drivel and and nonsense that people just spew out because they can. And like I said, everybody can, some people shouldn't. (laughs) And there you have it. So, uh, but you're an idiot anyway, so well, true. why am I telling you this? <laughs> I'm
0: so, um, just to ride your coattails. <laughs> it was all part of my plan.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, there you are. So, Perotopians, hope you enjoyed the episode. We must be off. We'll miss you. Give us a little kiss before we go. Yeah, that's it. Mm. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Hey, hey, uh, back uh, off of that guy. Oh, that was a guy.
0: I would give my life for disclosure. If you're not willing to give your life... Is it... Why for life? I think it's life. Yeah, if you're not willing to give your life for disclosure, then you probably want not just get out now or um, as soon as possible. Um... Now I wouldn't get out now because I'm in Barcelona, and, uh, you know. Who, who's going to pay my hotel bills and uh, you know my flight home? Because it, it's hard to, it's really hard to cancel on a, um, on a flight and then to reschedule for earlier.
1: Man, it takes a lot of money, which
0: I don't have because I'm spending it all on free energy devices.